Welcome, welcome to our session today. It's a pleasure to have you here talking about project management. I call this smart project management. Now, what exactly do I mean by smart? As you can see on the screen, smart just means specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-framed. So your project management should fit those definitions. It should be something that is specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-framed. Again, my name is Phil. I will be your friend, your host, your colleague, taking you through this very rapid journey of learning project management nuts and bolts. We're going to start off with the very basics, and then we'll go into initiating the project, planning, executing, monitoring, and controlling, and closing. And it should take us roughly 40 minutes to get done with all the content that I have. I started project management back in the early 2000s, over 20 years now. I've worked on all sorts of projects, IT projects construction projects, aerospace projects, health projects. And along the way, I've gotten various certifications that you can see on the right there. I founded Prazion Media in the early 2000s to train and equip people in project management, started off with Microsoft Project and then grew into PMP and other things. And Prazion has trained various firms across the world, organizations that you can see on the screen, such as the US Army, the FBI, NASA, and many more. We've got some upcoming classes. So if you're looking to learn more after this session, just go on down to these links you can see on the screen. Prazion.com is where you can get all of the courses. Now let's talk about project management in general. Project management has been around for a long, long time. It didn't start in the 1900s. Like most people might think, oh, it's something new. No, it's not new. It's been around for a while. As you take a look on the screen, you can see that the Pyramids of Giza is classified as a project. It had a beginning and an end. It had a goal. And that's the one of the earliest examples of projects. The Great Wall of China is another example. 1900 saw the likes of Frederick Taylor and Henry L. Gant improving how projects were managed. 1959, earned value was on the map. IPMA is an organization for project management that came on the scene in 1965, followed by PMI, who some of you might know, came on the scene in 1969. Then the first PMP exam, 1984. Prince II, which is quite popular in the United Kingdom and Europe, came on the scene in 89. 1991, lean manufacturing took its roots. 1993, first Scrum project was run. 1995, Scrum was formalized. The year 2001, we had the Agile Manifesto. And now in 2021, we hybridize various approaches to project management. So project management has been on a journey. The PMI survey predicts that project management will become recognized as an individual discipline. This was back in 1993. Now this has indeed happened. Project management is a discipline that is recognized with certifications from the PMI and other bodies. Did you know that 90% of global senior executives ranked project management methods as either critical or somewhat important to their ability to deliver successful projects and remain competitive? In fact, if you take a look at this survey further, you can see that those companies that have a method to managing projects, they do better, 10% better in many instances than those firms that don't use a methodology. So let's just examine a few. For example, 
organizations that use a methodology, 38% meet budget. Those that don't use a methodology, 31%. Now, these numbers look a little bit small, but when you blow it up into the billions of dollars that this goes into, it's a number that is worth taking a look at. Take a look at those that met the expected benefits, 60%, and those that don't use a methodology, 9% less on average. And you can see that this is from the PricewaterhouseCoopers Insights and Trends Survey. This was back in 2012. So those numbers have changed slightly, but for the most part, you see a lot of organizations use popular methodologies and they do better because of it. So let's have a few quick definitions on projects and project management. A project is a temporary endeavor that is undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. Projects start and end on like operational work, which continues throughout the life of an organization. Now, what are some examples of projects? Let's talk about a few examples. Pyramids of Giza, the Olympic Games, the Great Wall of China, the Taj Mahal, publication of a children's book, the Panama Canal, development of commercial jet airplanes, polio vaccine, human beings landing on the moon, commercial software applications, portable GPS device design, and international space station put into orbit. But those are a little bit complex sounding out there kind of projects. Another example of projects would be the simpler things. But let's first give a visual of a couple of these. Pyramids of Giza, it's a project, had a beginning and an end. Now it's in a kind of, if you like, maintenance mode. What about the Great Wall of China? Great tourist attraction. It had a beginning, had an end. It's a project. Now go into our everyday life. Think about driving to work. What about making dinner? Hosting a family for a celebration, writing a book, purchasing a vehicle, choosing a college, mowing the lawn, deciding which certification to pursue, and so on and so forth. All of these are personal examples of projects because they have a beginning and an end. So I want you to actually see yourself as a project manager because you are a project manager. You're managing projects. Come in here. I was a project. Has a beginning, has an end. We're going to get done, like I said, in about 40 minutes. So look at the world around you and see projects. Has a start, has an end. Now, like I said, the PMI came on the scene in the 1969 timeframe. Five of these individuals decided to form the Project Management Institute. It has grown in leaps and bounds. Lots of certifications have been authorized by the PMI, such as the PMP, the CAPM, the PGMP, the PMI ACP, and many more. And the PMI has been key in standardizing project management for many firms, many businesses, and PMI's footprint is mammoth. Now, back in 1984, there were just 40 people certified as PMPs. But fast forward to 2022, at the time we are talking right now, if I was to plot this, we would be showing 1.25 plus million. Think about that. From 40 people in 1984 to over 1.25 million. This makes a case for project management as a profession. Project management could be said is the application of knowledge, skills, tools, and techniques to project activities 
to produce a specific deliverable. This was the definition some years ago. But in 2022, the definition for project management has become a lot more robust. The definition for project management needs to include the concept of leading because it's leadership. It's leading a team, a team of people to a desired outcome, goals through servant leadership. It's also leading a team to incremental success because today projects evolve in many instances incrementally. And it's done through excellent communication, great interpersonal skills. It's also about making proactive changes and applying skills and tools and techniques. So when you are thinking about project management in 2022, you got to think about leadership. You got to think about applying skills. You got to think about proactive changes. And then you also need to think about reporting at the right level on key risks, issues, and decisions. And most importantly, a successful project is one that delivers incremental value using hybrid approaches, using hybrid methods, and just maximizing the best of both worlds. Now you might say, Phil, what do you mean by hybrid? So let's talk about a model that I think I've got a little idea that you might know what this model is. So I'm gonna give you a very quick poll and I want you to look at this. It says, what is this image known as? Have you ever seen this before? Well, let's find out by launching a poll. I want you to guess what this image is known as. So let's launch a poll. If you need to move it to the left or right, please do that. And welcome to those who joined us recently. What do you think this is? Take a quick guess. All right, I suspect some of you might either be certified or you've been studying because I'm seeing some good answers coming in. Okay, let's go ahead and end the poll. What you're seeing on the screen is known as the Stacy complexity model. And I know some of you are on phones, but I hope you guessed in your head. It's a Stacy complexity model. Now let's talk about the Stacy complexity model and why it is important to us as project managers. The Stacy model shows you the y-axis of requirements uncertainty and the x-axis of technical uncertainty. This is the simplified explanation. If you have requirements that are close to agreement, and close to certainty, you can, to a large degree, predict how your project will be done and the steps in between from planning to accomplishment. So the summary is use a simple approach, which we call predictive project management. Predictive project management works best when the requirements are well understood when there's a little chance of change, you know pretty much you're going in a straight line. So let me give you a quick simulation of how this will look. 
it will look something like this. You would hardly deviate from that green line. I know where I'm going. I have everything planned out in milestones. There might be one or two little bumps along the way, but for the most part, I'm going to go from A to B in a straight line. And that's really what the Stacy model is suggesting if it is a simple project, right? Close to agreement, close to certainty. Now, you could say, but Phil, my project is very big. It's big, but you still know where you're going, how to get there. You can predict. It's still predictive. But as you move away from the simple zone into complexity, you've got to be more agile. In other words, you need to do things in increments so that you can check the environment and the circumstances and conditions to ensure that you're not far off your target. Now, when we say getting into complex, look at this. It says far from agreement. So the further you are away from requirements certainty and the further away you are from technical certainty, the more agile you need to be. In other words, the less you know about what you're doing and the less you're able to predict how to do it, the more agile you need to be because you're going into the zone of complex and ultimately, you might even find yourself in anarchy, which is a dog-eat-dog, -dog, no sense of what we're doing, how we're doing it, craziness. The more you're going into craziness, the more agile you need to be. If someone says, Phil, what would that look like in that analogy of the planes? Well, in that analogy of the planes, it would look more like this. You would have the beginning, obviously, but you don't know how you're going to get there. So it's going to be in a zigzag kind of line. In some instances, you begin and you're thrown off and then you're thrown off even some more. And then you kind of get back on track. You think you've got your bearings, but you're thrown off again. And ultimately, you arrive at your destination. So that is one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it, I like a simple analogy of cooking. So you're cooking a meal. You start off cooking a meal. And you don't really know what family wants, right? So you ask them, all right, this is what I'm doing. Do you like it? And then you give them an increment of it and they taste it. And you have checkpoints along the way to say, how does it taste? And then when you're getting towards the end, you know, okay, this is definitely going to fit the bill. So you're doing things in small increments. So the final flavor, going back to my definition, because I said here, you got to do things using hybrid approaches. And hybrid just means you've got the best of both worlds and you're doing some pieces agile, some pieces predictive. And agile just means you're planning in stages and executing in stages. You don't plan out stage four when you are in the beginning. No, you plan out at a high level, but you're only planning stage one in detail. You get stage one done, and just as you're getting stage one underway, you're planning stage two in more detail. Then you're doing stage two and you're planning three, right? And we call those iterations. We do things in iterations. The delivery of whatever we accomplish, going back to my example of cooking, you could say giving the customer little pieces of what you're doing and letting them taste in, see if they like it, you could say you're delivering increments. So in the world of project management, it's important that you understand we can do things predictively, we can do things in an agile fashion, 
And we could get the best of both worlds by combining approaches. So you can combine predictive with agile, and we call that hybrid. Now, the question is often, okay, Phil, this predictive project management stuff, what does it look like? Give me an example of predictive project management. So in the next few minutes, I'm going to show you what exactly predictive project management could be looking through the lens of the Project Management Institute. At a super high level, we have project management broken down into what we call process groups. Okay. And I know some of you are like, well, Phil, this is a lot of stuff. How am I going to keep my head straight? Well, I'm going to put a link here, an email. If you want these slides, I want you to email that address to receive the slides from this presentation. Okay? Just send an email because I know it's a lot of content and you're wondering, how do I get my bearings straight? All right. So for those of you who attended, just those who attended, <laughs> you'll get these slides. All right, so the very first group of processes is initiating. And initiating just means authorization for the project from management or whoever. Then we've got to plan the project, plan it out in steps. Then we've got to execute the project. We've got to carry out the plan. Then we should be monitoring and controlling the project, checking to make sure we are on course. And ultimately we're going to close the project. And that means we have arrived, hopefully, at our destination. Now, I'll just say that in the world of project management, sometimes you've got to close the project because management has changed. The customer doesn't want the project anymore, or you've run out of funds. So you may actually find yourself in premature closure. And that's okay. Just make sure you document where you left off and the reasons why you had to close. All right. So again, you initiate, you authorize, you plan. You execute, you get the work done, you monitor and control, you report on performance, and then you close. And we call that the five process groups. But let's dive a little bit deeper into the five process groups to give you more context. So initiating, this is where we develop a project charter. The project charter is a document that authorizes the project and it gives the project manager the authority to apply resources to the project. We call that initiating. That's where we get our project charter. Something else we could do in initiating is identify stakeholders, people who the project could affect. And then we plan. We plan everything you can imagine. Schedule, cost scope, quality resources, communication, risk procurement, stakeholder. We plan all of that. How are we going to manage scope? How are we going to manage schedule? And then you flesh out the schedule. Okay. Now, a lot of people often ask me, Phil, as a project manager, how do I get all of this stuff done? You know, are there any recommendations of tools or techniques or methods that I can use to do this? There are a lot, there are a whole lot. But I want to sensitize you to how some of these could look. Some of these could look like this. So in project management, there's something we call a schedule. This is an example of a schedule, right? This is in a tool known as Smartsheet. In fact, if you go to smartsheet.com, you can set up a free 30-day account and begin to play around with these bells and whistles. Let me open up a few more things that I've got here. So other tools you could use to effectively manage your project. Still in Smartsheet, I created these. You've got a risk register. You use this to track your risks and make sure that the cause, the risk, and the effect are identified. 
You make sure that you're taking note of the probability and impact ratings and so on. And if you check the Praiseon channel, you'll, you can actually find a lot of videos where I go into lots of depth about these. We also have something called an assumption log, a log of assumptions, who we are assigning that assumption to and the status of those assumptions. We wanna make sure our assumptions are valid on the projects we do. Something else that you'll find very useful is the website Miro, Miro.com. And Miro is a great platform for collaboration, for brainstorming. Like here's an example of a brainstorming sheet. So you've got different participants who can brainstorm their ideas. That simple. We also have a tool called Trillo, Trillo.com. Again, it's free. So you can, you can always get free trials for these tools I'm showing you. But this is just to underscore project management is a profession and you can learn it. If you are keen on learning project management, being a project manager, and what you're hearing tickles your fancy, I encourage you, learn it, pursue it. Be in touch with us. You've got the email. Let us know how we can help you achieve that dream. That was my dream. Way back in the early 2000s, I didn't have a good game plan for how to succeed as a project manager. But I discovered I first should get certified. After working in project management for over three years, I decided to make it official. I got certified. Today, you don't even need to wait for working three years as a project manager. You can actually get certified as a CAPM. All right, and you begin to learn these things that I'm showing you on the screen, right? So this is planning the project. We have executing the project. We carry out the work, we execute the plan, we audit the work process, we communicate, we do our lessons learned, we could do rework. Monitoring and controlling is all about controlling changes that could affect the project in the predictive world and making sure that it's going through the recommended actions and the recommended process for change management. When all is said and done, you're going to get to closing and you're going to close out a project or phase. You're going to transition a deliverable. You're going to have perhaps a celebratory party or something to help the team know they've achieved a great job. A lot of people, they don't do that, but that is one thing I would definitely add to closing out a project. So in summary, initiating, you're going to carry out a needs assessment. You're gonna make sure that what you're doing is actually going to add value. Then you plan, you plan, what do we need to do? How are we gonna do it? Detailed planning, it could span across many iterations on some projects. One of the ways I like thinking about planning is the five W's. And you could add in the H. So the five W's are what do we need to do? What, when, where, why, who, and how? And you always want to put who is going to do it. One of the big things that we talk about in project management and management in general is the concept of something called a RACI chart, R-A-C-I. It starts off by taking a work breakdown structure and a structure known as an organization breakdown structure. You put them side by side. So you've got a WBS, you put an OBS, and then you trace them. Okay. And then you end up getting something like this, right? And we call this a responsibility assignment matrix, but we could actually use letters to show responsibility, accountability, consulting, or someone we need to inform. Or you could just use it as is and use this to compute 
how many hours is each department working on the project? So we call it a RACI chart. And RACI stands for Responsible Accountable Consulting Form. But if you're not using the RACI and you're using things like this, you refer to it as a RAM, Responsibility Assignment Matrix. A really cool thing to use when your team is confused about who is doing what. Great for the traditional world of project management or predictive. We don't use that in the world of agile, but we use it a lot in the world of predictive. All right. So when you're executing, it's important that people know, okay, what am I doing? Who's responsible for what? Executing is all about leadership in my mind. Leadership is at the heart of project management. You want to keep things organized, but don't forget people. Monitoring and controlling is checking and acting as needed. And like I said, closing is closing out each phase of the project, ensuring that the project is, is well closed and everything you did is documented. All right. So to put some further clarity to this, let's take a look at this roadmap. So for predictive project management, you could see this as a map of sorts. Again, ask for the slides and you get all the detail. So we initiate the project. We have a project charter. We identify stakeholders who the project could affect. We know we need to collaborate with these folks so we could have a stakeholder register we create. Then we plan, like I told you, there's so many things we plan, scope, schedule, cost, quality, a whole lot of stuff. And we plan scope, schedule, quality, resources, communications, risk, procurements, what are we going to buy? Who are we going to buy it from? And stakeholder, right? We do all of this planning, really thorough planning on many projects. And then we get into executing, and then we get into monitoring and controlling, and then closing. But let's take a step back and talk about these last steps. So we've talked about initiating, talked about planning. Let's talk about executing. What does executing look like? Executing, as you can see on the screen, is more about the directing and the management of the work, making sure that the work is being done. We also have the knowledge management aspect, making sure we're gleaning lessons learned, executing things pertaining to quality, resources, the team, managing communications, implementing risk responses, conducting procurements, which is where we actually select sellers, where we actually seal the deal, where we are contracting work out to people. And then we manage stakeholder engagement. So that's executing in a nutshell. The next thing you should think about is monitoring and controlling. We manage changes. We report on the project. We control the scope to prevent scope creep. We control the schedule and cost and quality to make sure they're all on track. We control the physical resources to make sure they're being used. We monitor communications and risk to make sure that we've got those down. And control procurements just means we're checking the seller or the vendor to make sure they're adhering to the contract. And then we monitor our stakeholders' engagement. The final thing that happens is we close out the project or the phase. We compile lessons learned. We make sure that we uh, prepare a final report and release resources. So going to the next slide here, this is from monday.com. They have a good breakdown of predictive pros and cons. So predictive, as you can see on the screen here, it works well. 
when you have the requirements clear from the get-go. This is where if you don't have the requirements clean and clear, you're dabbling in between iterative, incremental, and you're still trying to call it predictive. It's not a good place to be. Project risk is anticipated from the beginning, right from the charter stage. Um, it's best if the critical resource has a limited availability because you're, you're throwing in more and more and more resources and you could find yourself wasting. So it's good to understand the critical resources. Keep your eye on them. Don't waste them. Manage them, right? It will avoid waste. Roles and responsibilities are defined early, reducing the risk of misunderstandings. So th these are the pros of predictive. But the cons of predictive, time and money has to be committed early. You don't want to start until, oh, I need some commitment. Whereas in the world of Agile, we could start with five bucks. What can we do with five bucks? Agile asks the question, what can we do with the money we have? Predictive asks the question, do we have all the money we have or we need rather? So time and money has to be committed. Agreed changes in scope can be slow to implement. You know, like a dinosaur, when you got a change request, getting that change request through the red tape is hard. Accidental scope creep adds effort and cost, decreasing project value, so controls must be effective. And that's why we spend a lot of time, inordinate amount of time doing planning up front. It's one of the cons. Project value can only be realized at the end of the life cycle because we only deliver at the end. So those are some of the pros and cons. Predictive is not bad, but it has its place. Now let's jump into the world of Agile and talk about Agile. We call this adaptive project management. At a super high level, I just want to tell you what Agile is because I know you've heard all sorts of things about Agile. Some people have said, well, Agile is a framework. No, it's not. And some people have said Agile is, is a method. No, it's not. They are Agile methodologies, but first and foremost, Agile is a mindset. Okay, it's a mindset. So if anyone asks you what you gained from today's session, <laughs> you want to tell them Agile is a mindset. That's what it is. It's a state of mind of nimbleness, the ability to pivot. I like a quote from Mike Tyson. He said, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the mouth. What happens when you're punched in the mouth? You got to use a plan B. Now you, you need to be agile to have a plan right there on your feet. That's what agility is about. So it's a mindset. It's a mindset to pivot. If things aren't going well, you can pivot. If things are going good, you persevere. And that's the agile mindset. So it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most adaptable to change. Let's talk about two species here. Let's talk about the one called Netflix, and let's talk about the one called Blockbuster. Blockbuster was a big kahuna, the big dinosaur. They've been around, and they were really hitting the game until technology changed. Netflix could sense there was going to be a shift. So they started investing in a few things, but they needed assistance. So they begged Blockbuster to buy him, believe it or not. Please buy us, buy us. We're going under. And Blockbuster said, get away, you filthy vomits. We're not buying you. Go die. So what happened? 
Blockbuster ended up not being able to catch on to the rapid changes in technology. They died. Netflix is now the big kahuna dominating the space of entertainment ridiculously. Billions yearly. That's a, a great example of the agile mindset. The agile mindset understands the importance of adaptation. The fixed mindset doesn't want to adapt, just like Blockbuster thought they had it. They didn't. They didn't. And there's so many examples. I could give you many examples. The Circuit Cities of the World, the Toys R Us's of the World, the TM Lewins, for those of you who know TM Lewin, and many more. We could talk about Kodak, Polaroid, and how Apple is now dominating the game of photos. No one takes a photo with a Polaroid big old camera or Kodak instant camera. You whip out your phone and that's all. That's it. But a lot of firms that were dominated in the space of photography, they're nowhere to be found today. So agile is not for the strongest. It's about those that are adapting to change. So based on what I just said, let's see if you can answer this one. Take a best guess. Agile is best used when there is what? based on the Stacy model that we saw. What do you think? All right, thank you for the votes. All right, let's go ahead and end the poll. So the answer, as many of you guessed right, is indeed C. Experimentation and discovery are needed for the solution. Brilliant, brilliant job. All right. Let's talk a little bit more about Agile. Now, in the very beginning, I didn't tell you that my buddy, Roy, will be making a virtual appearance. So this is where I ask Virtual Roy to talk just a little bit to all of us about the concept of Agile and how Agile is not just used for IT because there is a misconception that it is. So let's listen to what Roy has to say about this. All right, let's jump in and let's talk a lot about Agile. So first thing I want you to understand is that Agile is not just for IT. It came from software, obviously, absolutely. That's the history of Agile. That's where it came from. But if you even look beyond where Agile, the term Agile really got started, and actually a lot of these concepts come from manufacturing. So it's it's gone through many different iterations and um, Agile, Took a, took a, got a major hold of the software community because it, uh, the technology had caught up and it was easier to do things in iterations, stuff like that. But now we're using it pretty much everywhere. I, I do a lot of work. Marketing companies are doing it. Uh, if you're building physical products, like Phil and I have worked for organizations that build um, or work together on some organizations that have done built physical products like safety equipment, things like that. Um, I've done work for a company that uh, builds elevators and pharmaceutical companies, as I mentioned, construction, big in the research and development space. I, I I've heard some people say, well, you can't do Agile in R&D, you've got to do Waterfall. No, 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 actually we'd prefer the other because Agile is all about experimentation. It works great in R&D. I would suggest it's probably even better than Waterfall in that case. Again, not saying Waterfall is bad, simply that I would suggest that in that kind of a space, Agile is built for experimentation and learning. 
Now, some of the core concepts that you're that you're some concepts that I want you to understand as well is that there are practices just like there are practices in predictive that are valuable for agile. There are also some practices in agile that are really good for your predictive approaches. So you can kind of blend some of these and get some value. I have lots of organizations that are doing waterfall projects and we teach them some agile concepts that they bring into their agile projects and it improves them so you know let's let's make sure that we understand agile is not you don't have to be pure agile you don't have to be pure, pure waterfall you can kind of combine these things um, one of the things that you that we really want you to take in internal and to internalize is the concept of process improvement it's continuous improvement uh, the actual term is kaizen k-a-i-z-e-n um, what this is, is a philosophy of always looking to get better, always trying to find a way of improving your process, improving yourself, improving your team and your relationships with your team members, improving your organization. So it's always looking to improve. So we could potentially take that and make use of that in our waterfall projects as well. Another concept that you want to get is the concept of eliminating waste. Often, not always, but often in traditional environments, you're really not focused on improving, you're focused on delivering. You're not focused on eliminating the waste that you have in your process. Again, you're primarily focused on meet that date. Well, if you think about it, if you're able to clean up your processes, eliminate waste, you know, there are things that are just not necessary, but we've been doing them forever just because we've been doing them forever. Um, if you look at those things and find ways of making things leaner, getting rid of the garbage that you don't need anymore, then you are going to be able to deliver more successfully. You're going to be able to meet those project deliveries. So it's not just about delivering. It's also making an investment in the process that enables you to deliver. And again, that's something that you can make use of regardless of what process you're following. It's more of a cultural behavioral thing than anything else. So Roy has a point. It's more of a cultural behavioral thing than anything else. And that takes us into our next slide that we're going to be looking at here. And in the next slide here, you can see we have this set of project success variables. My question to you is, which of these do you think is most important? Which ones do you think are most important? You got schedule or time, you got budget, you got delivering all planned scope, you got meeting customer needs, meeting quality requirements, and team satisfaction. If I was to give you this question, which of the following is most important on all projects? I'm curious to know which of these would you select? So let me go ahead and relaunch the poll. I want you to choose one. What do you think? Thank you. And you can go ahead and just chat in the chat box if you've got anything to tell me. Thank you very much. I know some of you may not be able to vote, but just subliminally guess. All right, thank you very much. Let's end the poll and let's take a look at the results. All right, so here are the results. Uh, majority of you have chosen uh, the lower three. And the best answer to this, my friends, in the world of Agile, the way we think is like this. 
if you have a team that is satisfied, isn't it very likely that that team will strive to do things on schedule and on budget? If you have a disgruntled team, they may never deliver on schedule and budget, be perpetually late, have a bad attitude. But think about it like this. If your team is satisfied, don't you think the customer's needs will be attended to? And wouldn't they have a greater propensity to meet quality requirements? Probably. There's a reason why we don't like option all plan scope, right? And the reason is in the world of agile, you may find yourself not doing every single thing you planned, but you could find a customer still sufficiently satisfied to move on. So the best answer that Roy and I typically look for is C. Now let's listen to what Roy has to say, his thoughts about this little exercise that I just gave you. It's usually a fun one that we do when we are uh, having our project management masterclass courses. So some of you have probably seen it before, I'm guessing, some of you who are from the masterclass. But um, let's listen to what Roy has to say about this real quick. Now, these are, this is called project success sliders. And the idea with this is to help you understand what's important to you as an organization. Um, it, we know how it works when you're, when you're working on a project. We would like all of these, these things to be really important. Delivering on time, delivering budget, meeting customer needs, all these things are actually obviously very, very important to us. But when you start getting into challenges, you start getting to the end of a project, something usually gets sacrificed. So this kind of forces the conversation of what you're willing to sacrifice. Now, we all know how we typically measure project success in a traditional approach. It's usually deliver on time, deliver on budget, on budget deliver all plan scope. But as we mentioned earlier, this does not include meeting customer needs. Where is the customer in this? Where is quality in this? And where's your team? You know, burning out your team and your team is going to be very unhappy. So we, we tend to focus more in the adaptive processes and Agile specifically, we tend to focus more on the bottom three and less on the top three. They're still important, so we don't ignore them. They're still very important. But we tend to subordinate those and we use we focus more on meeting customer needs, meeting quality requirements and team satisfaction. A team satisfaction is always an interesting one um, to, 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 to talk about because you know how it works. Most often the team, we tend to ignore the team. You know, when things push comes to shove, we'll burn our team. Right. That's the first thing that typically happens. Well, the challenge is that if we don't have happy team members, it makes it a lot more difficult to meet those other constraints or those other measurements of success. Of success. So we tend to in encourage that keep your employees happy, keep your team happy. And it's not just a, that's not just your organization's job to keep your team happy. It's the team's job to keep themselves happy as well. They have a lot of control. They have a lot of power to make their lives better. We want to encourage them to realize that they are self-empowered. They have a lot of control. So we, it, by focusing on the human aspect of delivering product, we're able to build happier teams, more satisfied teams, and satisfied teams are going to have a lot more focus on quality, a lot more focus on all of those other constraints and make it easier. This, in a way, this is a way of managing project risk. Happy employees, focusing on high quality, focusing on customer needs, 
makes a project more successful and reduces the risk of project failure. Project failure is, or project risk is not just about time and budget and scope and technology and things like that. It's also making sure we're delivering the right thing. It's also about losing people and making sure we have the right people in place and happy people. So give that some consideration with your projects. Awesome stuff from my buddy Roy there. And it's absolutely true. Looking at it as a risk coping mechanism. Now, you've already heard this. Roy asked you this, or I should say kind of alluded to it when we saw him a few moments ago. So let's go ahead and launch again a very quick poll. I am going to relaunch it. And what do you think? Is Agile just for IT? Is that true or false? What do you think? Thank you very much. Let's go ahead and end and share the poll. So in 2022, we, for the most part, know this a lot better, that Agile is not just for IT. Agile could be used in a smattering of industries. But let's talk a little bit more about Agile. The Agile Manifesto is the backbone, if you will, of the right mindset that we need to have for Agile. It was written in 2001. And it stood the test of time. And it just reads, we're uncovering better ways of developing product by doing it and helping others do it. Through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Did you catch the word value? It didn't say through this work, we have come to choose individuals and interactions. No, it didn't say that. It said you value people and how they interact more. You've come to value having a working product over comprehensive documentation because you could have all the documentation but no working product and that's no good that's no value customer collaboration should be valued over contract negotiation and responding to change should be valued over following a plan just like i said mike tyson's famous quote there right everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face the agile manifesto values there four of them are awesome and then it builds on that understanding with 12 principles. There is one principle I want you to catch. If nothing else, catch this one principle because this is the embodiment of the Agile mindset. Principle number one, our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable product. So I want you to have that analogy I showed you some moments ago in your head as you're leaving, that when you're working on a project, you always want to ask the question, am I delivering value? And then you want to get your stakeholders to get some value at these increments. Don't let them have to wait till the end if you can help it. I know some projects you can't help it, right? But I ask, is there a way you can add value even if they didn't get the big old chicken at the end, but maybe you could just give them some tiny little value, whatever that is? And it's what we should all be thinking about as project managers who want to embody the idea of hybridization, because that's the way forward. That's where the world is going, hybridization. So to wrap this up, my friends, the Agile Manifesto has got 12 principles, but I want you to really focus on your highest priority, satisfy the customer. There are 11 others, and you can find me talking about these on the web. I won't go into all of them, but I also want to leave you with one more. The final one I want to leave you with 
is this. When it comes to working on projects, build projects around motivated individuals. Give them that environment and support they need and trust them to get the job done. No draconian rule. Just give the team enough power. Trust them. You hired an adult, right? You hired adults. Trust them to get the job done. Leave the steering wheel. Trust that someone's going to be able to do it. And that needs to be the mindset. Okay. Quick test. Were you listening to what your buddy Phil said? Very easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Let's do this one. And we'll just have like two minutes left and then I'll take questions from you. What do you think? Highest priority. Thank you. And you can always click on the poll and move it to the left or right. Sorry if it's blocking you. All right, let's go ahead and end the poll. Great effort, great effort. Thank you very much. So our highest priority is to satisfy the customer, right? Through early and continuous delivery of valuable product. Okay, Roy and I kind of wordsmith that because it said valuable software, but we know that Agile is used everywhere today. And this survey from PMI, it showed that a full 71% of organizations report using Agile approaches for their projects, sometimes, often, or always. One of the frustrations that people have is, but Phil, I don't understand how it will look. Now you show me the five process groups, show me how Agile will look when I practice it. So let me show you what I call the Agile process flow. So it starts off with a vision, a vision for whatever you want. Maybe you've got a vision for a software application that can help you. Starts off with a vision and then we create an agile project charter that encapsulates that vision and helps people understand the vision. Then we have a roadmap, a product roadmap, which shows how this is gonna roll out in releases, for example. And then we get into the nitty gritty of the releases. And then we get into a team charter so that as the team is coming on board, they have an understanding of the ground rules, good behaviors, not so good behaviors we don't wanna go into, do's and don'ts for the team. It's important we have that understanding. Talking about respect and how we are going to work together and the cadence and things like that. And then we talk about backlog preparation. At this stage, this is where we talk about how the backlog is put together. This could actually come a lot earlier or it could come at any point, but the backlog of all the things the customer wants is gonna be framed and then we're gonna go into planning each sprint. Now, when we say sprint, we really mean iteration. So each time box is going to be planned. What are we gonna get done in this time box? Wow, we got a box of two weeks. What are we gonna put in the box? What are we gonna get done? Then the next thing that happens is a daily scrum, which is like a daily stand-up meeting. Don't have to stand up, but that's what people know it as. And this is where we ask the questions. What have we done since our last meeting to propel us towards our sprint goal? What are we gonna do between now and the next meeting to propel us towards our sprint goal? And are there any impediments? And there are other ways you can do this such as walk the board, but we won't talk about that today. Next thing you could think about is backlog refinement where the backlog is refined, making sure that we're prioritizing as we're going along, taking things out, putting things in, breaking things down. And then you're ultimately gonna to get to a potentially shippable increment for that iteration. You're gonna have achieved one chunk of functionality 
that meets the definition of done and that we can actually deliver or show to our client. So we get to a point where we do a sprint review, where we show off what we've done, but it's not just a demo. This is where we could also glean some new requests and we call them user stories. Again, check the Praiseon channel and you get a lot more of these definitions. Then the team retrospects, they have a retrospective. They ask what went well, what didn't go so well, what could we do better? What could we do better right now? And then the question is asked, is all the value delivered? If no, then you go back and do more sprint planning, go to the next sprint, do things in iterations. If the answer is yes, well, go to the final closeout, do a final release, close it out. And all of this that we see from seven to 12, it happens within the confines of the sprint. Now, what are the pros of Agile? It's great for projects when initially only high level requirements are known, stakeholder engagement is frequent, when you have mature stakeholders who trust the team, learning occurs all throughout through retrospectives and benefits are realized throughout project delivery. Now, what are the cons? Someone says, are there any cons? Well, budget or time constraints may mean that not all project deliverables are met and that's okay. It's one of the things that happens in Agile. It allows people an off-ramp to say, okay, that's enough. If the project team and business aren't co-located, the required collaboration could be hard, but I've shown you a few tools like Miro and others, Trillo, we have Jira, many more tools that you could use. It's not about the tools, it's about the mindset. Prioritizing the backlog can be challenging if stakeholders aren't in agreement, and it could be harder to determine when critical resources may be required. However, through the repetition and deliberateness of iterations done in cadence, you can overcome a lot of these. And with a mature team, you can definitely overcome these. So my friends, I hope you found this to be useful. Again, if you need additional training, coaching or explanations or help, maybe you're going for a job interview, maybe you're trying to expand your agile game, maybe you're trying to learn more, go on down to praiseon.com. There are many ways we can help you. All right, so thank you very much. Let's go ahead and take any questions. I'll go ahead and I will unmute and take any questions that you may have. Any questions or concerns? Yes. So now, do you have like a coaching session or like a um, someone who's transitioning? Maybe they, they're in a different area as far as with project management and they want to actually get maybe into technology? And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if, if you want to be uh, in one of our programs for coaching, we have a one-on-one -on -one program. And you can find that at pmanonymous.com. I'll go ahead and put that in the chat. And uh, when you go to PM Anonymous, all you need to do is just sign up for whatever coaching session you want. It's based on availability. I do most of the coaching. My buddy Roy joins when the answer that you need is very peculiar to some of the things Roy has done, such as uh, transformations in Agile and so on. But um, based on what you just described, yeah, go on down to PM Anonymous. And I'll be more than happy to help you. If, in fact, if you look for one of my recent videos, I have a recent video on my personal channel um, where I talk about transitioning into IT projects. So it can definitely help you with that. All right, my friends, thank you so mm -hmm. much. Look forward to speaking to you again soon. Bye for now.